0: Our reading is taken from Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 17, and it's on page 7 of the Pew Bibles. The Bible's on the shelf in front of you. So, Genesis 4, beginning at 17. (coughs) Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, (coughs) and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael was the father of Methushael, and Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the harp and flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me sorry if Cain is avenged seven times then Lamech 77 times Adam lay Adam lay with his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth saying God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh at that time men began to call on the name of the Lord this is the word of the Lord
1: Because you may be wondering, as we look at this passage from Genesis 4, 17 to 26, which is on page 7 of our Bibles, you may wonder, when you heard it read, what are we going to get out of that? <laughs> it looks a pretty unpromising passage, if we're honest, isn't it? It's the kind that, um, if it crops up in our personal Bible study, that um, we might skip it. Give it a miss, really. Half of it is um, a bit about a family tree. And the other half tells us a little about the early days of civilization and the founding of cities and the beginning of metal work in the Bronze and Iron Ages, of nomadic herding and of the start of music. Maybe it's just simply of interest for architecture and town planning, for agriculture, for music, and for manufacturing. But it's hard to see the immediate relevance to ourselves. And yet we know the New Testament's uh, comment on the Old Testament is that it is profitable for us. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, as Paul tells Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3:16. So, how is this passage that's before us this morning profitable? What are we going to get out of it for living our Christian lives? Well, I think the key to understanding it is the promise made by God back in Genesis three fifteen. Immediately after the catastrophe of the fall, speaking to the serpent who represents the devil, God said this, I will make you and the woman hate each other. Her offspring and yours will always be enemies. Her offspring will crush your head and you will bite their heel. Now, Christians have long seen in that a promise and a prediction from God that through a future descendant of Eve's, the devil will be defeated. It's been seen, and I think rightly so, as being the first prophecy concerning the coming of Christ. Now, Adam and Eve must have wondered how God was ever going to achieve this. You see, they'd had two sons. Abel had been murdered. Cain, the other son, was the murderer. With him as such a kind of hopeless case, the only one left, it must have seemed that God wasn't going to keep his word after all. His plans, even in these earliest stages, seem to have been so easily thwarted. So how was God going to achieve his ends? How was he going to bring about what he said he would? The answer, he gave them another son, one whose name means appointed. He gave them Seth, 425. It would be through him and his descendants that this promise would be fulfilled. That's always the way with God. God is never thwarted by mankind, who he has to work through. Whenever man looks like preventing God's fulfillment of his promise, he overrules to ensure the promise's fulfillment. God is always a winner. His promise... For instance, that one day he will intervene and create a new heaven and a new earth, will happen. His promise that if we let him into our lives as Lord, he will never leave us. That no one will snatch us from him. is true. God's word works. He keeps his word. He fulfills his word. His promises. Well, that's the initial lesson from Seth's birth. But the main lesson to draw from this passage is really in the contrast between these two families the family of Seth and the family of Cain. Now, let's start with Cain and his family, verses 17 to 24. Verse 17, Cain and his wife had a son and they name him Enoch. Now, of course, the question every uh, explorer and pathfinder and house group member doubtless asks is where did Cain get his wife from? It's a good question, but I'm afraid the answer is speculative. I mean, either he had sisters who, uh, who are not named and he married one of them, or I think much more preferably that there were other human beings who originated at the same time as Adam and Eve, and again they're unmentioned, but who fell at the same time as Adam did. Whichever we opt for, the thing is that Cain and his wife had a son, and they called him Enoch, not to be confused with the later Enoch, who walked with the Lord, we're told, and like Elijah, was no more. He was beamed up, if you use the language of Star Trek. Those two guys didn't die. They just passed from this life to the next without doing so. It was after his son Enoch that Cain named the city he built. Now, you remember that, Cain, uh, that um, he'd been banished by God to wander, to live an unsettled existence... But he fought it, he couldn't stand the insecurity of the nomadic life, and so he tried to create his own man-made security behind his own man-made walls. Now I think there is really a lesson here for us about the effects of sin. Sin causes us to cast off from God. Uh, We're alone, we wander rather directionless in the world. May be ashamed to face others who know the sin that we've committed. But we can't stand being adrift. We want a footing, we want a place of rest. We also want to take our minds off our sin, and so we busy ourselves so that we don't have to think about it. We don't allow it to kind of be recalled in our minds in those quiet moments. We don't want to have to face others, so we build barriers so that they can't see us and we don't have to see them. Cain continues his independent existence in defiance of God. That rebellious independence leads on and has adverse consequences right down to his great-great-grandson Lamech three generations later. 3 generations later and things have gone really haywire. Lamech turns out to be both sensual and savage. He has two wives verse 23. Now polygamy in the Old Testament is never explicitly condemned, but verses like Genesis 2:24 make it very clear that God's what God's intentions were. Leave parents Stick to one wife, become sexually united. And that simple little definition: "Leave, cleave, be one, become one flesh," is endorsed by the Lord Jesus in Matthew, Mark and Luke, in fact, twice in Matthew. And that simple little definition rules out every other possible sexual relationship. Whenever men in the Bible depart from that, there's always been trouble. Not only was he sensual, but he was also savage. He killed a man. What's more, he's rather full of himself for doing so. He's quoted as saying, if seven lives are taken to pay for killing Cain, 77 lives will need to be taken if anyone kills me, he boasts. He is an arrogant man. He is too full of himself. However, although he'd done wrong by having two wives, his offspring prospered. Although they appeared to be godless, they were talented. I think there's a warning there for us. If we do wrong, then life still may go on fairly well. We may get away with it for a while. We're maybe even tempted to think that since we seem to be doing okay, maybe what we did wasn't wrong after all. That's a very dangerous way to reason. We know the proper way to judge between right and wrong is by reading the plain words of Scripture. Well, let's look at Lamech's talented but godless sons, 20 to 22. His wife, Adar, had um, two sons, Jabal, the nomadic herdsman, and Jubal, the musician. His other wife, Zillah, gave birth to Tubal Cain, the metal worker, who made tools out of bronze and iron. You can see at this particular point, you know, the Bible is touching definite periods of very, very kind of prehistory that we can identify today and it was surely good that his sons were doing what god intended man to do to manage this world and its resources to develop its potential but because they were sinful inevitably things didn't go quite right they were skewed it was good to build cities but we've seen for instance that Cain's motive was wrong He was trying to build security for himself, independent of God. He wanted to bring himself, uh, he wanted to busy himself so that he didn't have to face God. Discovering how to make metal was a good thing to do. There are very many good things you can do with metal. You can make washing machines to relieve something of the domestic drudgery we might otherwise experience. But you can also turn metal into weapons, as Lamech did, and murdered someone. We have here the first taste of the self-sufficient society, the society that thinks it doesn't need God, that thinks that life can go on perfectly well without him. But although this family of Cain's could handle its environment, it couldn't handle itself. Its attempts to improve on God's plan for marriage set a disastrous precedent, which can be clearly seen in the rest of Genesis. And so quickly and so easily do they turn metalworking into weapon making. Technical progress, but moral decline. Perhaps, though, the saddest observation is that in all these verses there is no mention of God whatsoever. Not a single word. Well, that's the family of Cain. Now, more briefly, 23 and 24, and the family of Seth. Adam and his wife had another son. She said, God has given me a son to replace Abel, whom Cain killed. So she named him Seth. Seth had a son whom he named Enosh. It was then that people began using the Lord's holy name in worship. Adam and Eve had experienced grief. And now they have the joy of being given another son. And he and his descendants seem to turn out godly. In the time of this son, Enosh, there appears to be something of a religious revival, a renewal of spiritual life, a restoration to the early intended ways The people turn back to God. In fact, they turn back to the Lord, it's Yahweh, his personal name, a name that will come to mean more and more as he reveals himself over the, the course of uh, the book of Genesis and Exodus where his character is revealed in his actions. It's interesting too that Enosh means frailty or weakness. It's very true, isn't it, that it's most often in the times of man's weakness that we do turn to the Lord, the times when uh, we're most fragile, that we're most likely to return to God. All the time we're living in the make-believe world of self-sufficiency, we're not likely to turn to the Lord. With some of us, things just have to get worse before they can get better. The church, in some ways, is like a hospital. And we can expect to see more casualties in the years to come as people find the hard way that permissive materialism is not the answer to life. (coughs) So then, this passage is a contrast between the families of Cain and the family of Seth between worldliness and godliness, between two very different ways to live. Cain's folk are worldly. They leave God out of their life altogether. They were the pioneers of civilization, but that is not the same as progress. Technological progress is a great thing. How you use that progress, that's what makes the difference. Architecture can be used to build aesthetic buildings. I think the Hanging Gardens of Mountbatten House along East Drop View are quite aesthetic. I think the Lloyds Building in London is a ghastly load of old junk metal, really. That's just taste. Animals can be reared to work, to provide food, to provide clothes, but they can be cruelly treated. Music can be melodious or it can be a cacophonous din. Metal can be used to make surgical instruments or instruments of torture. Or if you want to be bang up to date, you may have heard this week the interview with Demis Hassabis, who's the co-founder and head of Google's 400 million pound machine learning business DeepMind, and one of the world's leading authorities on artificial intelligence. He's now called for a responsible debate about the role of ethics in the development of artificial intelligence. I think, he says, intelligence is like any powerful new technology. It has to be used responsibly. If it's used irresponsibly, it could do harm. He thinks we're a long, long way from Hollywood's Terminator. But how far away? Cain's family made all the wrong choices. They left God out, and, all, and, and things eventually went wrong for themselves. Seth's family, on the other hand, were godly. They may have just, uh, have been just as technologically talented as Cain's, but they had a life centered around God. He was a living and active God, a God who intervened to provide yet another son, a God who turned tragedy into triumph. He was a God that they could call upon in prayer and praise. He was consciously acknowledged as the centre of their lives. The point for us is that we all belong either to the family of Seth or to the family of Cain. We're either worldly or godly, self-sufficient or God-dependent. They're the only options these are the two ways to live and we have to choose between them and live that way let's pray <coughs> thank you heavenly father that may what may have may what have looked unpromising is really quite promising and it held, holds out before us in the lives of uh, two families very clearly the two different ways in which to live life. We pray that we would have the wisdom to follow in the way of Seth and his godly family. For your glory and our sakes we pray. Amen.